Now when you switch to Xfinity Internet, you can get unlimited data, Wi-Fi equipment, and a free Flex 4K streaming box included with a two-year rate guarantee and no-term contract, all for just $30 per month when you add an Xfinity mobile plan at regular rates. That's an unbelievable value. Experience a whole new way to save with Xfinity. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit an Xfinity store today. Limited time offer, restrictions apply. Requires paperless billing and auto pay. New Performance Pro Internet, 300 megabits per second customers only. Xfinity Mobile requires post-pay Xfinity Internet. After 24 months, regular rates apply to all services and devices. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. everybody yours truly william eric alexander my friends call me bill and you're online with bill alexander here on fayette tv channel 77 and also on wmck.fm out of mckeesport and we're also able to watch me on billalexander.org and also online with billalexander.com enough places to find me i mean honestly if you just start searching i'm there somewhere but anyhow hope everything's going well for you on this uh Tuesday evening, we're recording live on the 12th of February, 2019. And on the phone line, we have Cartoonist. And as he told me whenever I started talking to him, I've been friends with him on Facebook for almost eight years now, and I, I, and I never knew how to pronounce his name correctly. And he says it's Woes, like Woes is me. On the phone right now, we have Joe Woes, cartoonist and creator of Maze Tunes, here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. How about you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing real well. So Maze Tunes is in uh, two papers in our listening area, one out of Uniontown at the Uniontown Herald Standard and the other one at the Washington Observer Reporter. And um, a big thing, you've been only doing Maze Tunes for how many years now? Uh, only three years now. And, it's only been for three years. And how many papers are you in Nationwide. Uh, you know, that's a funny thing. I'm actually not sure. Um, and it's actually uh, international. I, I oh, get, really? Uh, the way it works. Yeah, it's actually, it runs in um, Sydney, Australia, uh, in the the, um, the Sunday Telegraph. Oh, wow. Um, so it runs as far away as Sydney, Australia. Um, it runs in Jefferson City, Missouri. And um, there's towns in Iowa and Idaho and California. So it runs over, but I, I don't know the exact number. I, I know it's... Probably right now because it's it's still relatively new. Probably about twenty or so newspapers. Oh, that is fantastic! So, how long have you been a cartoonist by trade? 
I, I I've been a cartoonist my whole life, really. But um, I started working professionally when I was uh, 14 years old. Okay. So I've been doing this now. This is uh, 44 years, okay. 45 years. Oh, okay. And what got you into drawing cartoons? You know, I, I was a huge fan of uh, Snoopy and Peanuts by uh, Charles M. Schultz, mm-hmm. um, who was just my hero while growing up. I absolutely loved Snoopy. It's probably one of the first things I learned to draw was Snoopy. And um, that's what really got me hooked. And, and it's a story that many cartoonists share. In fact, um, today's the anniversary of his passing. And, um, you know, I go on my Facebook page and, and we're just all sort of sharing these these memories of, uh, of Schultz. And, um, you know, for so many of us, he was an inspiration. And, and that, that really is what, what got me started. And um, But my parents, when I was probably about four years old, caught me drawing on the walls with a crayon. <laughs> and um, they put paper up on the walls and said, go ahead. Okay. I've just been drawing ever since. So uh, have you done any anything other than Maze Tunes that has been syndicated? No, the Maze Tunes is my first syndicated uh, feature. And um, I, I got to tell you the story behind it because it's, it's just sort of an um, odd little miracle. Um, I uh, had left the Toonsium. I was, uh, ran a cartoon museum for many, many years and was sort of just, what am I going to do next? I need to do something. <laughs> you know, I, I've always dreamed of being a syndicated cartoonist. Um, but I knew I, I, I didn't quite have what it t- takes to do a comic strip. Um, you know, so I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I've done mazes my whole life. Okay. And then one night, um, it was a, a, a Friday night. I, um, I started just, I said, that's it. I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. And I <laughs> sat down and I, I put together a whole pack. And then one night I must've drawn about, I don't know, 30 or 40 mazes that night um, scanned them in, colored them, put together this package with information about me, went online to find out which syndicates I could send to. Most of them you have to mail to, um, but there was a couple that did take uh, submissions online. Okay. So I sent them off, and I immediately regretted it. Um, <laughs> I knew I, I knew I, I, I wasn't prepared. I, I didn't have things in the right size or format. Right. I, it was just a this sort of manic moment, and I, and I panicked. And I... Um, so I started calling around a cartoonist friend and said, how, how bad is this? You know, what, am I going to blow my chances of ever getting And they said, no. They said, what? no one gets accepted their first time. Right. You know, I mean, Schultz got rejected, you know, dozens and dozens of times. What's going to happen is it'll be three months before you hear from anybody. You'll get a rejection letter. If they like it, they'll give you some thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then you try again. So I said, okay, I'm not worried. Monday morning. I got a phone call from Creator Syndicate saying we want it. Oh, cool. So it's probably one of the shortest turnarounds in syndication <laughs> history um, as far as getting a syndicated strip. And then you know, a couple months later, I had to sign contract and, and happily ever after. So in other words, you're, the, you're not the, uh, the, the, scenario, the, the average scenario. You're the exception to the rule. I was, I was a big exception to the rule. It was... It was just something, because my mazes feature these cartoon illustrations, it's something that could go on the funny pages. It's something that go on a puzzle page. It's, you know, uh, inoffensive, family-friendly for all ages. So it, it really hit a niche. And, you know, the tough part now is, you know, getting it into newspapers and in an industry that is, you know, continuing to shrink and struggle. So right. we keep at it, you know, little by little. 
Now, I, I've noticed uh, your your uh, maze tunes and your themes. Is there certain themes that you do for different weeks? Is it the, the, the papers themselves? You send them a bunch of them. They decide what they want to run, or um, so no. So they they all run the same, with the exception of uh, Australia. Okay. Um, they all run the same ones on the same days. Um, and uh, the reason Australia is the exception is because. On Sundays, they run one of my dailies. Um, the dailies are the small rectangular or square ones, and then the Sundays are the long rectangular ones. Okay. Um, it seemed like Sunday. Funny papers. Um, so they can pick and choose from whatever they want. They've got a backlog of thousands they can choose from. Everybody else runs whatever runs that day. Um, when they started Nathan's, I thought, oh, this is great. I won't have to come up with a different joke every day, like a comic strip. I want it to be funny every day. I won't have the same characters over and over. And I thought, oh, this is great. About a year into it, I go, I have to draw something completely different every single day. Right. I don't have the same characters to go back to. <laughs> I don't have running gags I can rely on. Um, I've got to come up with something new. So I started using a lot of what quirky holiday is today. You know, it's, it's hamburger day. It's, you know, oh, okay. It's like a chicken day. It's, uh, you know, wear a gorilla costume day. Um, so I use a lot of those. And then um, I, I, I'm a, a history buff, so I will do a lot of, you know, 100th anniversary of, you know, historical figures, pop culture, celebrities, um, historical events. So I really try and, and, and mix it up. And then I'll do some abstract design mazes now and then. And um, other times it's just a completely random whatever pops in my head. A lot of times it's me looking around the room and going... I haven't got a maze of a lamp yet. I'll, I'll do a lamp. So that's honestly what happened. But those are some of those fun. So the other thing that I guess what introduced me to you a few years ago, you did a, uh, 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 an animation, a comic strip, a book, The Three Little Pigs Burgers. Yes, The Three Little Pigs Burgers was uh, my first published book, and it, it sort of became this, this phenomenon in Pittsburgh. Um, it's the story of Three Little Pigs written entirely in, in Pittsburgh East. And um, I, I did it as a self-published Kickstarter. Um, it did extremely well. Um, I ended up selling out 5,000 copies in under a year. Oh, wow. Which is good by, you know, regular book standards. Right, right. Um, and uh, it was carried by the Hind History Center, Giant Eagle. And then um, I sold out. And I said, okay, well, time to move on to the next project. And then... Heinz History Center just kept calling me, asked me, when are you going to do another run? When are you going to do another run? And finally I said to them, I said, you know, if you don't like it so much, why don't you just buy the rights off it from me and you can publish it? Uh -huh. And that's what they did. So so it's now, it's now published by uh, Heinz History Center Press. Okay. And uh, do you still get residuals from it, or did you just sell it out no, to them? No, I, I did a flat rate deal. I said, ah. here's, here's, a, here's a number I already made you know, a lot of money off it. Uh, let, let, let me see how much more I can squeeze out of this. And, you know. <laughs> Take the money and run. Well, that's really cool. I didn't realize that it was a Kickstarter campaign that uh, you started this up. Yeah, it was actually, at the time, it was one of the most successful Kickstarters um, in the Pittsburgh region. It um, received a lot, of, uh, a lot of exposure. And um, it was just a fun project. It was, a, it was just a lot of fun to really dig into Pittsburghese and try and translate something into it. Right. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Did it sell outside the area or, like you said, just in the region? It sold everywhere. I mean, it was unbelievable. I had an order of two dozen from Japan. Um, 
a, uh, a someone who went to Japan, a teacher who was teaching English in Japan, <laughs> and gave copies to all her students. I Wait. would have. Pittsburghese is not English. I mean, no matter how hard you. That's the great part about it. I had, I had doctors in Boston who were from, originally from Pittsburgh who okay. wanted to, would buy like thirty copies and say, you know, this is our language, and, and it was it was about five four sending me a video of their grandparents reading it on at Christmas time, and, uh-huh. and just, it was so much fun. Um, so you mentioned earlier in the in the program about the Tunesium. What was yep. the Tunesium and what happened? So the Tunesium was a museum of cartoon art in Pittsburgh. It was one of only a handful of three at the time museums dedicated to the cartoon arts in Pittsburgh. I founded it um, originally part of the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh. And then uh, it split off. Became, we became our own nonprofit and then moved to downtown Pittsburgh um, with one small gallery. Then expanded and added the second gallery. And... Um, you know, I, I ran it for, you know, really about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, uh, I, I sort of said, okay, I really want to, I, I wanted to expand it further. Um, the board wasn't really ready for that. And I thought to myself, I, I've taken it as far as I can take it. Um, so it's, it's time for someone else to lead it. I, I, I spent, you know, years hanging other people's artwork on the walls and never my own. I, I need to focus on my, my own career, get back to what I love. Mm-hmm. Um and I enjoyed the time at the museum. I, you know, over a hundred exhibits I curated. You know, hundreds and hundreds of programs. It was great fun. Um, and then I, after I left, it stuck around for a couple years. Um, a few of the original board members stepped up. And then um, after those board members left, um, a new board came on, a new board president, and you know they shut it down within. I think a couple months after they took over, they just couldn't couldn't maintain it anymore. So I, I, I my understanding is it still exists. They still have a substantial collection of art, okay. most of which I donated. Um, so they it it exists in some form or another. And um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it's ever going to come back. That's a shame because I was at it once, and I guess it's been oh, it was a long time ago. And yeah. <laughs> it was quite, I can't even try to figure it out. And it was very impressive, the, the artwork that was there, because it wasn't just local, it was national and international cartoons yeah. that yeah. you had a representation of everything. Really did. And it was, it was my mission was to really sort of educate the public and celebrate this art form that so many people love. And um, it, it was great. Pittsburgh was a great location for it, I thought. But, um, you know, Small museums are very, very tough to do. Right. Um, you know, especially in Pittsburgh, where you, you've got people automatically assume if you have the word museum in your title that they're Carnegie members. <laughs> yes. It's just good everywhere. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. The word Carnegie and museum are synonymous. People don't want to don't give to museums as much because they go, oh, you got all that Carnegie money. I'm like, mm-hmm. how do you know Carnegie? I, I never met the man. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it can be, it's, it's really tough to run a museum in Pittsburgh. And yeah, and I can imagine that too. Now, recently there was, and I, you posted on this um, yeah. this past week. There was a cartoon that was done that um, was it non sequitur? Is that what is it? Um, non sequitur. Non sequitur. That's it. And, Wiley Miller. Yeah. And I, which I've I've read before. I've I've enjoyed it and everything else. But this week there was a controversy about it. 
because people are, and it may be there, it depends on how you look at it, there are negative political comments in the bottom of the cartoon that for most people looks just like scribbles, but someone believes that it says something negative towards the president. You made the comment on your page that the only thing you hide in your cartoon work is your kids' names. Yeah, I you know there there is this rich tradition. I mean, Al Hurst still just hides his daughter's name. Um, Dan Perraro and Wayno of Bizarro hide all sorts of objects in their cartoons. Uh-huh. Of trying to hide things. And Wiley Miller, unfortunately, um, hit a uh, and not so he didn't hide it quite so well. A um, profanity directed towards uh, our our current president <laughs> or the current president, and. Um, he probably got away with it if he hadn't posted on Twitter that he had hit it there. Ah, and I didn't realize so, that. So the minute he said, and then he he ended up taking that down, but it was too late. Yeah, you know, sort of that you know that uh, the box was open. So that's what really hurt him because we, you know, up to that point there was plausible deniability of. Oh, people are just seeing, you know, the Virgin Mary on the back of a coast. <laughs> right. And I and I you saw know? that comment too. But the minute you you acknowledge it and call it out, and then you looked at it, I was like, Oh yeah, that's plain to see. And then Go Comics, who um uh syndicates them online, they actually scrubbed it. They um erased that section of it. Oh, okay. And posted a new cartoon. So I think that was an acknowledgement that it was there. Once they erased that. Right, I got you. So, so yeah, and I, and I think he, uh, like so many cartoonists, uh, you know, um, I think he, he reached a level of frustration. And um, had it been a statement within the cartoon that was within the context of the storyline, it would have been fine. There's a rich tradition. Pogo, Doonesbury, mm-hmm. even Peanuts would occasionally comment on social issues. Right. The problem isn't so much who it was directed at or the, the political stance he was taking. It was the fact that it was, was a, a very strong profanity. Yes. Um, that is just, you know, one of the only words, you know, George Carlin issued that still can't be said on television. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, and you, and you can never, certainly never, ever print it on the funny pages, you know, if it had been in an editorial cartoon, you know, even then, maybe, you, you know, you you give SNL, Saturday Night Live, you can give them a break when they slip up and a profanity slips out. You can't give that same break to Sesame Street. Exactly. So if it happens on the editorial page, yeah, okay, maybe it's it's within context. Adults are reading that. Right. You put it on the funny page. That's that's a family audience. You can't do it. Yeah. So when I when I looked at the post, did a lot of people pull the cartoon? Not just this edition, but they basically said we don't want them anymore. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's a growing number. Um, it started certainly it started in Butler, the Butler Eagle. Yes. Was the first to pick up on it, and then I think there's at least a dozen newspapers now have canceled. Um, that number will probably grow. Um, and, and I don't know, um, where that number will stop. Um, but, um, it'll, it'll certainly grow. And that's a shame. That really is because just, I mean, and again, it's, he, he, he had a message. He was trying to get it out. And unfortunately that was not the way to do it. 
because it was yeah it was it was vulgar now did the whole controversy did, did it start in butler or did it yes which is amazing to me because i grew up in mars pennsylvania and the butler eagle was a small paper when i was there 30 years ago and i was surprised at the butler eagle that somebody had enough nerve i guess to basically bring it to the attention and then all of a sudden it became a national story for goodness sake the hill and dc actually posted on yeah. the thing about the cartoon towards the president and i'm going wait a minute i don't think i would have ever imagined something starting in a small uh regional city newspaper would actually go that big that fast but because it well, was a naturally syndicated cartoon i guess that's why because it was a nationally syndicated cartoon and it's um the other thing is, is it, you know in, in our our current culture right now i mean people are anxious to get offended more so yeah than ever. you're right um both sides of the aisle are anxious to get offended and if you give them something this big that they can latch on to they're going to do it um and you know the other thing is that i've been trying to separate is i've been trying to separate the the sort of uh personal political issue from the simple, you know, it's a profanity mm. uttered on the funny pages. You just can't do that. If I did it without mentioning, you know, any political figure, it doesn't matter, you know, left or right. If I put, you know, a swear word in my cartoon, I'm, I'm going to lose my contract. I'm going to lose all my papers and right. I'm going to be out of a job. Right. Um, probably, you know, in reality, there are newspapers that may maintain him because they do agree with the message okay. and they're willing to overlook it. Well, and we saw so what happened. So it may, you know, that's it in some way. Well, we saw what happened with Rob Rogers at the Post-Gazette yeah. where he was he was um, going after a, 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 a lot of people said he was going after the president and the Block family decided enough's enough and then they got rid of him. And then all of a sudden they brought in a new cartoonist where I don't understand where the humor is because a lot of it is degrading towards women and toward yes. minorities. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, something doesn't make sense here, but I guess that's their right to do it because that's their newspaper. We, it, it, it is, but unfortunately I, I and, that, and the two situations, I think that's the different where, where one is sort of politically motivated and sort of, trods over free speech okay um the other one is you know screaming fire in the theater you know what i mean it's it's, it's not you know protected free speech to have profanity on the funny thing mm -hmm. um you know, there are certain you know um just values that we, we do hold as far as the funny thing is sacred in um whereas rob was doing his job i mean his job is to make fun of the president his job is to make fun of the mayor it uh, doesn't matter yes that's his job um and uh, the pg has certainly taken a sharp turn right um and i think interestingly uh the trib is taking a slight turn left and um you know maybe it all meets in the middle somewhere um fortunately you no longer have a local cartoonist in pittsburgh um for the first time in over a hundred years, there was no local cartoonist, editorial cartoonist in Pittsburgh in our major newspapers. And I didn't realize um, that. I mean, it is a rich tradition going back hundred over a hundred years. I mean, you know, 
goodness sake, I mean, Cy Hungerford was at the, you know, in Pittsburgh for, for <laughs> at least 50 years or so. Uh, Art Wood, um, you know, Timonet's uh, uh, Rob Rogers, of course. Okay. Um, and the trip had, you know, Randy Bish. And um, they let go of Bish a few years ago when he had their layoffs. And then they moved out of Pittsburgh. So where's Bish then, at um, Where's Bish at now? Bish is, Bish is just doing, um, I think he's doing some syndicated freelance stuff here okay. and there. And um, Bish is, I, I love Bish's work. Bish is, interestingly, since he's sort of cast off the, the shackles of the, of the trib, yeah. um, which I love the trib. I think it's a great publication, actually. But um, he has certainly um, been more liberal in a lot of his um, cartoons. He has certainly been of our, uh, uh, the current president. So what's going on with and and then and Tim and Ease, which I thought he was still in the area too. He's still in the area. He's just not drawing for the papers. He's you know he does some magazine work. Uh, I'll be doing. He does a lot of painting still and, and um, but no, he's not. You know they're not um, the cartoonist they picked up for the PG. Uh, he's not at all. Okay. Um, and. <laughs> And um, you know, in my opinion, in my opinion, he's he's working out some of his his personal issues. Um, <laughs> yeah, I the, agree with you. <laughs> in, in in his editorial cartoons, and um, there's some, uh, I don't know, uh, animosity towards an ex-wife or something. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's, it's not pleasant <laughs> to watch happen. You know? I think that's that... as an artist. You know, I, I would never criticize. That's a very good observation because I other <laughs> cartoonist artwork, but um, I strong because I, I I just see that the the uh, the whole the whole genre of of political cartoons. I mean, going back to um, if you want to say Norman Rockwell even did it is that they were able to poke fun and it entered and it actually educated a lot of people who, who were able to get more information out of one cartoon than they were out oh, of the whole article on the editorial page. And now you're seeing this change where either they're being eliminated or they're being, I don't want to use the word censored because if I do, someone's going to say, no, that's not true, but they are, their work is getting, getting challenged for the most part. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And and that is what's interesting is Pennsylvania is, is arguably the birthplace of the editorial cartoon. And I and I did you not know, famous and I didn't uh, realize the that cut in many pieces and the phrase "join or die." Okay, um, published by ben, Benjamin Matt. Okay, uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, however, has one of the most sort of checkered histories when it comes to the censorship of cartoons. Maybe in uh, certainly in North America, maybe in the world, um, Pennsylvania was the first to enact a law, the Penny Packer Law, required all editorial cartoonists to submit their cartoons to the state government for review, to the governor's office for review. Interesting. Um, it became a joke. It became a joke. This is, you know, almost 100 years ago. Right. It became sort of a joke, and Penny Packer, you know, Governor Packer sent packing, um, thankfully. But Pennsylvania's state to enact um, uh, censorship laws on animation. Okay. Um, state to ban uh, and censor a Disney cartoon. You know, this is the 1920s. So... 
Well, Pennsylvania has uh, had just sort of this tricky history with, um, with with cartoons and and free speech. Very interesting. I did not know that. Now. The other question I have for you, and, and let, i got to do some business here. You're listening to WMCK.FM and also watching Fayette TV Channel 77 in Uniontown. Um, you had a fight with a rubber duck years ago? Yes, yes. I've, uh, I've, among my, my many bizarre uh, claims of fame uh, have been uh, what is sort of, I guess, commonly known as the rubber duck incident. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it was, it was actually, it ended up, you know, working out for the best for everyone. But um, what had happened is um, the Cultural Trust had brought in this giant um, uh, And uh, I thought, oh, what a, what a great um, sort of tie in for just these T-shirts that said, have little... all right? Okay. Pretty pretty simple, cracking hat. Just a cute yeah. little thing. Well, exactly. It was a very... Cute slogan because, huh? of course, you get that Pittsburghese in there with the yeah. quack, quack and that and everything else. But did someone have a problem with it? And, well, well, it turns out, I, I didn't know this, but the Cultural Trust had sort of clamped down on all the businesses in the Cultural District area and throughout you know, the Pittsburgh region, the Visit Pittsburgh and stuff, that no rubber ducks except for their official rubber duck merchandise was to be sold. <laughs> and I, I, you know, again, I, I don't know why this, the artist who created this, um, had a reputation as being, uh, taking ownership of something that he didn't have a right to own the rubber okay, duck. Right. Um, so they actually sent me a cease and desist. And I naturally first refused. And, um, and from there it went viral and national and international. And now, Every time a story runs about this artist bringing the rubber duck to another <laughs> country, <laughs> this you know this thing will be on display in Norway, and they'll have this big article about the rubber duck, and then they'll say, "But the duck has not been without controversy." Yes, Pittsburgher Joe Wells, and it's just every article, <laughs> and it must drive the poor artist nuts. Um, but um, it did, you know, they backed off, and uh, you know, I think it sort of worked out for everybody, but. Um, <laughs> Which sometimes I, whenever I hear stories like this, I think it's a tad bit ridiculous. But I guess for you, it actually promoted your brand because people wanted to know who you were. Then after that situation happened, yeah, yeah, and I, and I had a lot of people who had sort of confusion and misunderstanding about it because there were people because because I was a founder of the museum, yeah, and again, it's just confused, interesting. They somehow thought that the Pittsburgh was owned by the cultural trust. Oh, okay. And so they would say things like, oh, he's biting the hand that feeds him. Well, I certainly wasn't. I mean, cultural trust had nothing to do with the Tunes Right. Um, they gave us not a, you know, not a penny um, uh, until after the doctor. <laughs> <Maybe. laughs> um, but, you know, some people tilted windmills. I tilted giant Diet ducks. <laughs> So on your Facebook page, under your on your bio information, it says you're a resident cartoonist at the Charles M. Schultz Museum and Research Center. What does that mean? Yeah. So um, 18 years ago, when the Charles M. Schultz Museum opened, they were looking for a cartoonist who could really have sort of a dynamic command of the stage. Someone who could do more than lead workshops. Okay. And... I'm known for doing a performance where I illustrate stories as I tell them. 
And at the time, their young education director had seen me perform in Ohio. And they said, we should bring out this Joe Lowe's guy. And um, so they, I sent them out some videos and stuff, and they, they hired me to come out to the museum. And it was just such an honor. It was, you know, my hero, um, Charles M. Schultz. And they had just, I've gone back every year since, you know, twice a year. I spend um, Thanksgiving at the Schultz every year, and I spend a week over the summer. And I'll visit them down my chops where I'm teaching kids how to draw some high school ups too. And then on the weekend, I'll do performances. Sometimes I've done pet caricatures. I mean, we mix it up. We do lots of different things. And and it's so much fun. I, I've made such good friends. I've become good friends with Jeannie Schultz, uh, who's, of course, Charles and Schultz's widow and just an amazing person. We've actually been to, to Burning Man together. Um, <laughs> she's just uh, so much fun. And, and everybody there is just um, great. And, and the museum is... You know, for anyone who's a fan of, of cartoons or peanuts, it's, it's, it's a whole new pilgrimage. And it also mentions here that you're the creative a, a creative consultant at Starkiss. So you have something to do with Charlie? I, I do. I am, um, and the exact title is, is a bit of a mouthful. It's, it's I am the um, uh, Brand Character Integrity Consultant. And in English, and, that uh, means? That means when they're doing a new commercial of Charlie, I say things like, a talking tuna fish wouldn't say that. Ah. Um, I, I maintain <laughs> the integrity of the book. This is, but this is why you've never seen Charlie wearing a, a backwards baseball cap rapping in a commercial, you know, is because um, they have sort of this, this, just, just this great attitude about protecting their brand right. and remaining true to the character. So, and you don't see that a lot. What year did Starkiss start using Charlie as their spokesfish? It was in the 1950s. So it's it's been over 50 years now. So you, in other words, you're trying to keep it as authentic as you possibly can, back to that original image in the 1950s. My my goal is to keep it as authentic as possible. You know, maintain sort of the. Um, the history of the character and, and his creation, um, you know, listen to things like the voices and go, okay, yeah, I, I changed this. That's okay. not quite right. It needs a little more Brooklyn in there. Um, things like that. Um, yeah. So, so usually, and, and I'll do a lot of consulting for them if, you know, if they're doing, I mean, it can be things as simple as um, most recently they were doing a meme of the, um, you know, the, the 15 year challenge. Okay. You know, when you saw a picture of yourself from 15 years ago or whatever yes, it was. Yes, They said, hey, we need an image of Charlie from, you know, one of his commercials, you know, in the 80s. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got a whole archive. So uh -huh. I pull an appropriate image and send that off. So I sort of maintain, you know, a lot of the historical uh, archive of, of Charlie as well. So when they did the exhibit at um, the Heinz History Center, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of the face in the documentaries and, and um, you know, help pull together the exhibit. So talking about advertising that we've seen cartoon characters being used as spokes people, I guess you want to say from snap crack on pop from Tony, the tiger from that. Why were they using, especially in the 1950s and sixties and even into the seventies, why were they using animated characters as their spokespeople and not real individuals themselves? You know, they they did use um, real people too uh, occasionally, um, 
the reason animation became so popular on television was in the in the early 1950s, towards the end of the 1940s, early 1950s, you had this dead time on television on Saturday morning. Right. right? Everybody was sleeping in, you know, but the kids were off of school. And someone, they had the bright idea of, you know what, let's throw some clown, literally some clown on TV and we'll give them, you know, they'll, you know, host a little show. And they thought, well, what are we... What is he going to do? And they said, well, let's we'll do some skits and stuff. And at this time, animated cartoons had been strictly in film. And they were what ran before the feature film. Right. Well, once they ran, they had a certain shelf life. They would just go into storage. So there was all this backlog of old Warner Brothers cartoons and old Popeye cartoons that nobody was using. And the television stations realized they could buy them up for pennies. And just run those cartoons and say, hey, hey, kids, here we go. Here's another Popeye cartoon. So that's how Saturday mornings were born. So now you had kids tuning into Saturday mornings. Well, you've got the kid waking up early. They've got to do, um, you know, the parents are still sleeping in. Well, what can what can kids do? they got to feed themselves something. Uh, they can't fry up some bacon and eggs. Ah, cereal. So they start using those same, you know, they start using cartoon characters to advertise cereal. Mm-hmm. So kids see a familiar face on the box. They reach up. They pour themselves a bowl of cereal, Captain Crunch. They sit down in front of the TV for the next four hours, <laughs> and they see more commercials for right. that same cereal. But it was sort of keeping it consistent that you had these cartoon characters just throughout. And that's sort of that's sort of why it really happened. And then that dang guy from Pittsburgh by the name of Fred Rogers said about advertising and children's television programming, and then it all disappeared eventually. Um, well, and, and I'll tell you what, actually, um, it is Pittsburgh's fault that we don't have Saturday mornings. WPXI, Channel 11, if I can use someone else's call letters, I apologize. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> um, they actually were the first station in the United States to cancel Saturday morning cartoons to put on the news. And they you- were the first station to do it. They I never forgave them for it. And you know uh, why they did and they that? they owe me. They just saw it as a marketing opportunity. They saw it, oh, well, let's, you know, maybe parents will tune in for news. And it worked. Well, the, And so they just, other stations followed suit. And the reason is, is because there was a newspaper strike in the city of Pittsburgh at the time. Yeah, there and was. It, there it, was it, so they wanted a lot of news on TV. And, and that's you know, it, and, it, and it stuck and it, it, um, it ended up ultimately killing Saturday morning. Yeah. So. And well, that uh, uh, they um they owe me a Saturday morning. <laughs> you, you, I wonder if you can sue for being put out of work because of. Uh... I, I I actually want to host uh, an event sometime in Pittsburgh. I will do it at some point where we show the cartoons that would have ran that Saturday. Oh, that would be interesting. Saturday. That would be really so. interesting because you had in Pittsburgh you had Paul Shannon and Adventure Time. Then Joe Negri took that over. Yeah. And then you had uh, Don Riggs and Willie the Duck on Channel 11. and um, who, who, um, who, who actually read the funny pages yes. um, during an earlier newspaper strike, yeah. It, 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 again, it just it all goes back to that. And I, I never realized that, I mean, heck, when I used to get home from school when I was in uh, 
junior high and high school, you'd turn on Channel 22, and there was Captain Pitt. Captain Pitt. He was floating yeah, up and down the Captain rivers, well, yeah. and he was showing yeah. Popeye cartoons. And I, I always thought that in in Pittsburgh, and they had him in other parts of the country too, that these low-budget local TV programs were actually the most creative because you always had somebody who was close to retirement that was taking on a character role and they were interacting with kids either in studio or through the through the lens of the camera and it was kind of cool to watch how the kids were involved i mean i sent letters i sent letters to captain pitt just so i could get my name mentioned in between the popeye cartoon and the roadrunner cartoon in, in truth, the best ones, and, and, and I don't believe we have this in, had this in Pittsburgh, so I'm not going to uh, disparage any local heroes, but the best ones were the kids' shows that were hosted by raging alcoholics <laughs> who, would, who would show up on Saturday mornings hungover like Krusty the Clown. Right, see, kids, there's a, that's exactly. There's a cartoon, and, and it's just hysterical if you can see clips of these things. You know, the, these... The, the children's show stuff you can find, um, you know, the, the, these were still adults. And, yes. you know, when the cameras stopped running, cut away, um, you know, there's some pretty funny material stuff that's very, very politically incorrect and inappropriate from Soupy Sales to, to New Zoo Review. Well, and, um, Soupy Sales. When you sales. become an adult and you find them, you're just shocked. Soupy Sales, I can't believe parents let their kids watch it. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that you look back and you go, what were we thinking? Yeah. And, you but, know, that was it was a different era. <laughs> well, this program airs on local cable um, in, in my area because while I'm talking to you right now, there's actually a camera on me. And then I show examples of what you what you do and have done while, during the conversation. And I've always wanted to recreate that whole idea of doing a children's cartoon programming. And I've yeah. had I've I've approached adults about doing it. I've approached uh, young adults, late teenagers, to do it. We've attempted it, but you can never capture that original magic that they had in the nineteen fifties and sixties, and even it, into the seventies. The secret is vodka. That's the secret. What's but that? Vodka first. <laughs> I gotta have a vodka. <laughs> Your your alcoholic beverage of choice is what it is. All, all, all night on a bender, you wake up and then you put on a great good show. You want I think we need to pitch the idea to somebody, and you can host it. What do you think? I would be happy to. I mean, if we can, you know, get uh, Kettle One or somebody to sponsor. Well, <laughs> Captain Morgan, how about that? Captain Morgan. Uh, yeah, we can just go with that as the whole theme for the show. There you go. You could be a pirate, Captain Morgan. Um, yeah. But but again, it, it is because it is a lost piece of 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 American American history, especially in the entertainment world. And when you talk to young people about it, they look at you and go, "Seriously, people actually watch this?" And um, there was there's I, I I lament that children have lost their sacred time. Yes, I don't mean Sunday morning. Uh, you know that's no <laughs> the sacred time. They lost is Saturday. Saturday. That kind was your con. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, arguably there's there's great content out there. I mean, there's some fantastic cartoons. It's better than ever, I think. And you can watch them any time of day. You know, if you're a kid, you wake up three a.m. and put on the TV. This cartoon's on. No problem. But they've they've lost that specialness, that that magic that was your kind. 
and you know, we're forcing kids to grow up too fast. And uh, that magic of Saturday mornings is, is uh, I, I lament losing that more than more than a lot of things. I look at of what we've lost in America, and I think Saturday mornings um, were a big thing to lose. And and the other thing about that too is that the kids right now they have everything it, it, it instantaneous. They don't wait for it. And I remember no, and, being a kid and, and, and waiting and, 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 yeah. and waiting for Hong Kong Fooey to come on because yeah. we're talking about it Friday and we get to school on Monday and then we relive the whole episode and it was fun. I, my my favorite thing were we used to have um, in the evenings before fall and spring they would do the Saturday morning preview shows yes. in the evening. Here's what's coming next fall yeah. on CBS. And it would be hosted by, you know, um, Avery Schreiber and, you know, these you know, sort of older comedians. And, you know, they were, Paul Lynn would be a host or something ridiculous. <laughs> and they were so much fun. And you could see them on YouTube and, and yeah. you know, go look them up. And they're so much fun to relive those memories. Um, but, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't have that anymore. It's, well, you, you know, we, we've lost, you know, we've lost the art of, of knowing. Um and part of that is we no longer know. We Google. Right. Um, we don't have Saturday mornings. We don't have any anticipation. We also don't have the guy at the end of the bar who could tell you, you know, who wrote the Deo song mm-hmm. uh, on a bar bet. Because now you just Google it. Right. And so you don't have the, the things that you can just know. And that's, you know, I think that's the only thing. I, I love the Internet. I love how, how brilliant children are nowadays. And, and I think they're smarter than we ever were. But I, but I think they are missing out on um, some real adventure in in experiencing things the way we did. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you on that. Now, speaking of kids, if someone came up to you 14, 15 years old and say, I want to be a cartoonist, what would you recommend them to do? I, I, if, if a kid were to come up to me, and I have it happen all the time, and say, you know, what should I do? I want to be a cartoonist. I would tell them simply draw. Um, draw and draw and draw. I would say get a ream of copy paper. Uh, don't spend you know fifty dollars on a fancy sketchbook because on a fancy sketchbook you're only going to put your best stuff in there and you're never going to draw. Right. But if you're taught to copy paper, just draw as much as you want. Your heart's content. That's how you learn to think it better. And uh, and that's what I say. And I'd also say you know try and develop your own characters and your own style. Um, you know, I see so many young artists who are trying to draw anime style and manga style and that's great if they can adapt it and make it their own but if they think like oh someday i'm gonna grow up and i'm gonna work for dragon ball z you're probably not because mm-hmm. you know they have people in korea working on dragon ball z they're paid a buck fifty a day and they're not hiring um you need to, to have your own voice you need to create your own style and, and sort of just place your own path and, but the best thing you can do is just just to do it and and keep doing it and never give up that's mm. the other thing. You just, you just gotta keep at it. Because not everybody's going to have that weekend success like you did, right? And 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 I, you know what? I struggle every day. I mean, every day is a struggle. And you know, people look at what you know what level do you gauge success? At? Because I've had, you know, now I've had eight books published. I've had you know the syndicated feature, but um, you know it, it doesn't pay the bills. You still got to do a lot of other things. You have to keep going, right? Keep at it, and I never stop it. You don't do it for that. You do it because you love it and you can't imagine a life without it. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the the one thing that I've, I've been noticing your work and everything else, 
everything you do is still pen to paper, correct? No, it's actually not. Oh, okay. Um, and but but it is it's it's a general assumption that it is because um the only thing I do pen to paper is if I'm doing live drawing okay. uh, on stage or if I'm doing live drawings at a Comic Con. Okay. Um I converted to digital um about uh I guess a year and a half ago now, maybe two years. I got a um Wacom uh mobile studio pro, um, which they give me to try out and I just fell in love with it and I realized no one could tell the difference. So, oh, really? Okay. Um, and it, it reduced my, you know, my my processing time by, you know, by about half. Uh, I didn't have to scan stuff in and then color it. I just, I color it right on the computer now. Because to, to me, looking at what you've done, it still looks like it is pen to paper. And, and essentially, it's, you know, a computer is just a tool. That's all it is. Just right. like pen and paper is. Um, and I'm able to very easily, because I'm drawing directly onto a computer screen with a pen, um, it's, it's the same process. My brain still works the same way. The right. pen still works the same essential way. Um, but instead of laying down ink, it's just laying down a line. And it's, it's much cleaner mm-hmm. than I'm able to do by hand, because I'm left-handed and I smudge terribly. <laughs> um, and I was going in and fixing that in Photoshop all the time. So, um, yeah, so it, it is... Uh, I I don't think I don't think the average person looking at it could ever tell the difference. Yeah, I I'm also left-handed and and I have the smudge growing up with the smudge. I'm looking at my hand right now. The smudge that was on my left hand because trying to yeah. duplicate that right-handed curve it just drove me crazy when I was a kid. Yeah, you just smudged ink everywhere. Yeah, I mean it was a mess and the teacher would just get annoyed with you going, "How can you why would you do this? Why can't you fix it?" going because you didn't teach me how to write properly, that's why. <laughs> but um, no, but I, I think it's very interesting, and and being able to being able to do that, and being able to be creative to come up with something on a regular basis, which to me I think is just fascinating, that you're able to do that. I mean, how many mazes have you drawn so far over the three years? Um, not counting. Well, well, if I do count the books too. Uh, so we're, uh, it's, it's going on 2000. Okay. So what is the idea for 2001? I mean, I, I can't imagine not duplicating eventually the, at least I, I understand I, the maze I is going to be do, different, but the idea. I do occasionally duplicate. I, I, I've been going back and looking at older ideas and going, Oh, I can do that better now. Okay. And, uh, I will do that occasionally. Not too often, but occasionally there's something I want to revisit that I really have a new idea for, a new twist on. Um, but, um, you know, in fact, my, my Sunday that I have coming up, I have one that's, that's of a Viking. And one of my very first Sundays I did was a Viking, but I was only in one newspaper. Okay. So now, you know, very few people saw that. So I thought, oh, well, I can redo this one and do it better. And so I will revisit occasionally. But, but honestly, no, it's, it's a new idea um, every day. Um, and, and it just, you, you just got to make sure you, you keep it fresh. And, you know, I, I mean, the world is full of new ideas and, you know, you hear people all the time to say that, um, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, there's constantly stuff new. We're, human beings are so creative. We'll always be able to come up with something new. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the cool things about being a cartoonist is when you do something, it doesn't exist until you put it down on that piece of paper or that computer. Right. You're creating, um, and that's that's all there is to it. You're creating. 
So that's the, that's the big, you know, that's what makes it so fun. So going back um, and looking at your career, what formal training did you have? Um, none. Really? Um, I had no formal training in cartooning. Um, I really just, I just loved it. Um, you know, it's funny because I've always drawn and I have teachers who will send me packets of stuff from when I was in middle school or grade school, mm-hmm. old drawings they kept or the newspaper. And, and one time my, my daughter, my oldest daughter was looking at me and goes, I'm going to ask you. I said, what? And she goes, why did you draw? Why did you become a cartoonist? I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, to tell you the truth, you weren't very good. <laughs> and, um, and she's right. I, I wasn't very good. Um, but I loved it. Right. And I finally, after years and years and years, I got to the point where I was as good as I actually thought I was. Okay. Uh, and I'm still getting better. I'm still learning. But, mm-hmm. but when, when I'm asked, you know, why did you keep doing it? And, I'm reminded of what my dad used to tell me. My dad used to tell me that a bumblebee's wings are too small for it to actually fly. The bumblebee is too big and heavy. The wings are too small. And I would say, well, then how does he fly? He says, because no one ever told him he couldn't. Right. And that's sort of how I viewed it. I, I, I never had that person to come along and say, don't do that. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. And the ones who hinted at it, I just took it as a challenge. So what do you have planned for the future? Um, I, I, I have a children's book that I, that I just wrote that I'm very proud of that um, my agent is shopping around right now. Um, obviously, they continue to perform and tour and I'm um, hoping to do some more maze books. Um, we're looking for a new publisher for the maze books, too. And I'll keep up the syndication and, and I'm just going to keep doing what I what I do and what I love doing. Um you know, and I'm, I'm just going to keep sort of, you know, moving forward. So, I, I mean, that's that's the goal is just keep doing this forever and uh, never stop. So when you stop, you die as a cartoonist. That's it. So do you have any performances coming up here in the near future? Um, you know what's funny is um, th- there's this sort of syndrome in Pittsburgh I call profit in your homeland. You can't make a profit in your homeland. Okay. So um, – I tour extensively. I'll actually be um, in Portland, Oregon next week, and then I'm in Cleveland. I'm in uh, performing with the Symphony in Baltimore. Uh, I'm performing with the Northeastern Symphony uh, up in um, um, oh, uh, further out in Pennsylvania near Philly. Um, I've got stops in you know Louisiana, Texas. But if you were to ask me what I have locally. Uh, you don't have anything. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the closest thing I know that I have for sure, I have a couple of schools that I do performances at, but uh, I will be in Johnstown okay. uh, for the Children's Book Festival uh, for sure. And um, I'm actually putting together a um, uh, Children's Book Festival here for Pittsburgh that hopefully will be um, kicking off this fall. So um, that's something I'm hoping to produce as another project. But that's uh, that's it for for, for local. Uh, um, Want to see me um, either come to Cleveland or uh, or Johnstown? <laughs> so before before I let you go, I'm, I have a question because I know the rest of the audience is is trying to figure it out too. What do you do with the symphony orchestra? Oh, so I do. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the interesting. Things. I, I have a lot of as a cartoonist. I've always had sort of this quirky approach. I don't do a comic strip. I do bases, or 
I do live performance on stage telling stories. Okay. I actually illustrate the music as it's played. Oh, interesting. Um, so I uh, usually it's Carnival of the Animals, but I've done other symphonies as well. I'll be doing a different one in Baltimore. Okay. Um, and as the musicians are playing the music, I'm doing a live illustration by hand on paper um, that has been projected up onto a big screen. So it's timed out for the music. It's it's really interesting. It's really unique. Um, I have done it with the uh, Pittsburgh Symphony um, several times, um, and also Erie. Um, trying to think, of qu- quite a few actually. Um, uh, Syracuse, New York, and uh, so. But uh, Baltimore this would be the first time at Baltimore, so I'm uh, really looking forward to that. That is that is really cool. I would have never thought of anything like that. And when I mean, you get a large turnout for these events. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, these are symphony performances, so it's. it's um, when I did the one in Pittsburgh, it was actually, um, it was their, the first sold-out children's concert they had had in 20 years. Oh, wow. So, yeah, they, they, they're quite, quite popular. That, that is, that's really impressive. Now, do you have to rehearse with the orchestra up front, or do you just I, go in and you know what they're going to play so you have an idea what you're going to draw? Um I, I I don't have to, and I don't like to, but I do it just so they they feel like I've done it. Okay. Um, it it, it makes them more comfortable. Gotcha. <laughs> so so I do it. Um, but honestly, the day of or night of the performance, I just completely change what I'm drawing on on, on the fly. Interesting. Um, I just have an idea of what the theme is. So if it's you know the movement is elephants. I know uh-huh. I'm going to draw elephants, but I don't know what I'm going to specifically draw. Right. I got you. I got you. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so it, it can change up, and it keeps it fresh and interesting for me. And I just have a general idea of my time. I know how long I have. Well, Joe, I appreciate you taking time on a Tuesday night. I love the conversation. I have so many more questions for you, and I think we need to do this again sometime in the near future when either have, you have a, a book coming out or a local performance, whatever it is, so we can actually talk more about um, a little bit more of the history of, of cartoons and animation and talk about some of your favorite um cartoonists that may have inspired you in some way shape or form but for right now i really appreciate you taking time to talk with us tonight oh my pleasure anytime and uh, i i enjoy it joe uh can you give your website so people can find out who you are and, and know how to get yeah, you, a hold of your stuff you sure you can visit me at maze tunes m-a-z-e-t-o-o-n-s mazetunes.com um all my books are available on Amazon, you know, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. Support your local bookstores. Most of them do carry it, um, uh, especially locally um, in Oakmont. Uh, Mystery Lovers Bookshop carries them. And then um, I, I know there's bookstores just throughout the region. They all carry them. So um, definitely check them out. But you can also get them online at, you know, Walmart, Target, Amazon, all the usual suspects. And um, so follow me on social media. It's Maze Tunes, no matter where you go, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Okay. Well, Joe, thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Joe Woes, cartoonist of Maze Tunes and also a Pittsburgh native here online with Bill Alexander Knight. Hope you enjoyed it. I actually had fun with that one because I've been I've always wanted to talk to him and now we had the opportunity to do it and hopefully you enjoyed the program too. Don't forget you can check us at WMCK.fm on 
Mondays, no, wait on <laughs> Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. I got to remember, I'm on so many different times and also on Fayette TV, Channel 77 overnight. Anyway, guys, I am out of here. You guys have a great night. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. Well, I'm tired and I got to go home. I'm tired and I got to go home. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week, and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at RumkeyCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. At Pluralsight, they believe everyone should have the opportunity to create progress through technology. Pluralsight is a tech workforce development company that provides the solutions that high-performing engineering teams need to tackle today's biggest challenges. Whether you need to build the skills, individuals, and teams to tackle mission-critical projects, drive cloud transformation, or help software teams ship reliable, scalable, and secure code, you can harness the collective power of hindsight, foresight, and insight with Pluralsight. Check them out today at Pluralsight.com slash vision. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.